Today's reading is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through chapter 2, verse 4. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and su supremely sold toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read, read and acknowledge. And I hope you will fully acknowledge, just as you did partially acknowledge us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. <clears throat> For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you to for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I caused you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Myra. Good morning. Happy Fourth of July weekend to all of you folks. Hope you're doing all right this morning. Before we uh, get into our uh, sermon this morning here in our text, I want to just say a quick word of follow-up from last week's sermon. I mentioned last week that I wanted to, I felt a, a need to preach uh, a sermon or two uh, more just on the gen, on the uh, the topic generally of uh, gender and sexuality, particularly in light of how much our culture is just moving on this issue over the last decade or more. And so uh, I do want to do that. And I was looking at the preaching calendar and I, I still have not figured out where to 
to put that in. Uh, some of you were asking me was I gonna, when I was going to do it. I don't know yet. I think probably end of summer or beginning of the fall. And then some were asking about, well, you know, can I bring my kids? And so I, we'll give you a warning uh, before, we, uh, before we get into to those topics. But I would appreciate your prayers uh, as uh, we think about these issues, as I think about these issues and prepare to preach on them. Uh, because issues of sexuality and gender in our culture are not just political issues. Uh, they're not even just moral issues. They are deeply personal issues for so many people. And there's a lot of uh, ways that those issues can be very uh, sensitive uh, to folks. And so we want to just, we want to approach those topics with as much pastoral care and kindness and God's love as we can. So I'd appreciate your prayers uh, as uh, we work towards that. All right, so this morning we continue on in our sermon series on 2 Corinthians, and the way that we continue on in our sermon series is by staying put, as you may have noticed uh, from the reading of our text. This is the third time uh, in four weeks that we have read this same passage of Scripture. And I want to make another run at this same passage uh, that Pastor Joel preached on two weeks ago. I touched on it last week. We're going to touch on it again, because sometimes passages of Scripture uh, have more content than you can mine in a single week. And uh, so that's the case with this text. I think that probably all passages of Scripture have more than you can mine in a single week. But that's true for this text as well. So we're going to stay on this text, going to preach one more sermon, and uh, then we'll move forward uh, next week. But um, by way of introducing the theme for our text this morning... For those of you who have been uh, or are parents of a house full of kids, so maybe you're an empty nester now, but you can think back on the days when you had a house full of kids, or maybe you have a house full of kids now, especially I think this is true, uh, what I'm going to say is when kids are younger, uh, you know how exhausting it can be when they are constantly besieging you with all sorts of can I's, can you's, and can we's. So the parents of little kids, particularly, you know what I'm talking about. So it's this constant asking of, can I have a snack? Can you set up the pool? Can we get ice cream? Can I have a sleepover? Can you drive me to so-and-so's house at 9 p.m. on Friday nights? Like, we don't, like we're trying to go to bed, you know, kids. <laughs> can we skip church this morning? No, we cannot skip church this morning. And on and on it goes like an unrelenting flood of can I's, can you's, and can we's until we reach a breaking point as parents so that as soon as your kid walks into the room and you hear the words, mom can, immediately, reflexively, self-protectively, we just say no. Whatever the request is going to be, we just say no. It's like a trauma response to all the questions that we get as parents. Child, I have a life too. You know, you're always inconveniencing me. Kids, it's not really that bad. Most of the time, it's not that bad. We do love you out there. But sometimes I wonder if we can think that God is like that. I mean, you think you have a lot of people asking you for things. Imagine God, all the requests that he gets every single moment of every single hour of every single day. All the things that are asked of him. And I wonder if we can think that God, too, has a reflexive impulse to first say no and then think about it. If we sort of ask, write, or persist in prayer or beg, then he might come around to say yes. Right? But his reflexive response is no, or at least sometimes it feels that way to us. Because we read about God's word, as we just did this morning here in verse 20, about all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. 
We read about God's word always being yes towards us, but what we experience in our lives is so often a no. And how do we make sense of that? That's the point of the sermon this morning. And here's what we're going to do with this passage. Now, Paul is going to weave together his defense of his own word to the Corinthians with a defense of God's word to his people. And his logic can be a little bit tricky to follow because he starts with his own defense of his own word in uh, verses 12 through 18. Then he talks about God's word in 19 through 22. And then he comes back to his own word in verses 23 through chapter 2, verse 4. So there's a lot of back and forth. So rather than following Paul and all of his back and forth through this text, we're going to first make sense of how Paul's yeses and nos are actually always yes towards the Corinthians. And then from there, we're going to move forward to look at God's yeses and nos and how they're always actually yes to us in Christ. So as we get started, let me just go back and review quickly our context and make sure we understand the tension that Paul is now stepping into as he's writing uh, this passage that we've just read. Paul, as we've talked about, has said that he's going to come visit the Corinthians, but then he didn't. And this isn't the first time that he said he was going to visit the Corinthians and then didn't follow through. This is actually the second time if we go back and look at 1 Corinthians 16 and look at the narrative and timeline of Paul's relationship with the Corinthians. And as a consequence, because of this, yes, I'm going to come, and then no, he doesn't actually come, the Corinthians are beginning to doubt Paul's love and commitment to them. So Paul is writing for a number of reasons, but one of the main reasons he's writing 2 Corinthians is to give some account of himself to explain why he says he's going to come. He says a yes, but then they experience the no from him. So in verse 112, Paul is laying the groundwork. He's kind of easing into his defense that he's about to make on this topic. And he insists in verse 12 that he has behaved with a clear conscience towards God in all things, and especially so with respect to the Corinthians. So as he was broaching this topic, he he begins by saying essentially, just to be clear, Corinthians, I behaved above board with you all. My conscience is clear. And in verse 23, he even says, I call God as my witness, that that I have not I have not done this lightly. And then in verse 16, he addresses the issue explicitly. He hits it head on. He had said that he was going to visit the Corinthians twice. He was going to visit them on his way to Macedonia. He was going to pass through. And then he was going to, after Macedonia, pass back through and visit them a second time. But as we've noted, he's changed his plans and he didn't follow through on that. So in verse 17, Paul poses the question that reveals the tension that's existing now between his relationship with the Corinthians and himself. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? When I said that I was going to come visit you, Paul said? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? In other words, Paul's word to them was, yes, I am coming, but his actions toward them was, no, I'm not. So what gives? That's the question that the Corinthians have of Paul. That's the tension in their relationship. All right, so that's the kind of context and situation in which Paul is writing. And now we move to Paul's defense of his own word. 
In verse 18 of chapter 1, Paul says, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. And the implication that he's now going to work out is that his word to the Corinthians is not yes and no, it's always yes. Perhaps we can say it like this. Paul's no's are really just yeses in disguise. In verse 123, Paul insists that the reason he hadn't come to visit the Corinthians was to spare them. Well, to spare them from what? Well, look at 2 verse 1. I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. Which, of course, means that he had already made one painful visit to the Corinthians. So what was that all about? Well, here's the situation as best as we can put together from reading 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the book of Acts, and kind of between the lines. Paul had made a first visit to the Corinthians when he planted the church. And we can read about that in Acts chapter 18. He comes to Corinth, meets with the Corinthians, plants the church. Then he had moved on in his missionary journeys, and he later wrote a letter back to them. That's 1 Corinthians. He was answering some questions that they had, and he also was rebuking them for some practices that they had fallen into, and he was letting them know that he was going to come visit them a second time. Well, then after he told them he was going to come visit them a second time, well, no, I, I'm, getting, I'm getting confused on myself here. He's going to visit them a second time. So look back in 1 Corinthians 4, 18 through 21. You can turn back to 954 in your pew Bible there, but 4.18, Paul is telling them in 1 Corinthians, I'm going to come visit you. And I've heard that there's some things that are, that are out of bounds, and you guys need to straighten those things up. This is a lot of what he's writing. And he says, some of, some of you are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness. And so Paul, as he is heading towards this second visit with them, he's saying, I'm going to have to come to you. When I come to you, am I going to come in gentleness and love, or I'm going to come with the rod of discipline? Well, it appears that when Paul had made that second visit, he had indeed had to make use of the rod. And it had been a painful visit for him, it had been a painful visit for them and for everyone involved. And that's the painful visit that he's referring to here in our passage in verse 2-1. So after he had made that painful visit, he had moved on again, and then he had written back, I'm going to come a third time to visit with you. But as he was preparing to come a third time, he heard again that there were more things going wrong in Corinth. And he knew that if he went Third time, while things were still going wrong, he was going to have to make another painful visit to the Corinthians. And so instead of making that painful visit to the Corinthians, instead of following through with the plans that he said he was going to do, he pulled back that and wrote them a letter and told them that they needed to straighten things up before he came. So look here in 2, verse 1 and 2. I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you. 
So Paul's saying, the reason I didn't come visit you is because I didn't want to make another painful visit to you and have to discipline you. In other words, Paul didn't want to have to come and dish out more discipline. That would have grieved his heart. It would have grieved their heart. So instead of visiting them, he wrote them a letter and exhorted them to clean things up. Now, Paul was concerned that his fatherly pastoral relationship with the Corinthians not become primarily characterized by rebuke and by discipline and by chastisement. Parental or pastoral rebuke is necessary at times, but too much unrelenting rebuke, even when it's deserved, can so erode the integrity of the relationship that in the long run, it doesn't serve the person being rebuked. Because if Paul was constantly bringing down the heavy hand of discipline, even if it was deserved, he knew that he was going to seriously wound or perhaps even kill his relationship with the Corinthians. And Paul knows that his relationship with the Corinthians can only be a blessing to the Corinthians for as long as there actually is a relationship with the Corinthians. And he doesn't want to irreparably damage his relationship with them, and so he stays away and doesn't make his planned visit. Now, which, as an aside, maybe there's a word here for some zealous parents this morning. Perhaps your kid, like the Corinthians, has been continually behaving poorly. And you are finding yourself in a pattern where your relationship with your child has become almost entirely characterized by rebuke, chastisement, and discipline. Now, every kid needs a dose of perfecting love. But it's possible to prune the tree so much that you kill it. And sometimes it's best to let a child linger a bit in their sin if that's what it takes to maintain the relationship. Because your child can't benefit from the relationship that he or she has with you if your constant discipline has killed the relationship. In other words, don't keep making painful visit after painful visit until your kid wants nothing to do with you. That's essentially Paul's logic as the spiritual father of the Corinthians. So how is Paul's no then really just a yes in disguise? I think the answer can be seen most clearly in verse 4 of chapter 2. Paul says, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. I wrote to you, Paul is saying, rather than visiting you, not because I don't love you. God knows I love you. I wrote to you instead of visiting you precisely because in my abundant love for you, I wanted to spare you pain. In other words, my negative actions towards you, my no towards you, was really an action of love. It was seeking your best. And it's Paul's love for the Corinthians that lies at the heart of Paul's word or his promise to the Corinthians. Because at its core, what really matters is not so much whether Paul comes or he doesn't come. What really matters to the Corinthians is that Paul has a genuine heart of love for them and is seeking their best interest. And Paul is assuring the Corinthians that his actions and his conduct towards them are always in keeping with his loving intentions and his promises. So even though they are hearing and feeling, experiencing a no from Paul, which feels like a relational negation and rejection, what lies beneath that no is a deeper relational yes 
of love. And everyone who's ever been a good parent or had a good parenting moment knows what that's like. Mom, can I play in the street? No, you can't play in the street because yes, I love you. Dad, can I eat the whole bag of Halloween candy? No, you can't eat the whole bag of Halloween candy because yes, I love you. A parent's nose may be received by their children as a negation of the parent's love towards them, but most truly and deeply, a good parent's no is really just a yes in disguise. And true love is strong enough to say yes, even if it has to be spelled sometimes as N-O. And that's Paul's point. He's telling the Corinthians, I don't say yes, yes, and no, no. I always say yes to you. Even if I have to say no, I'm really saying yes to you. Now, that's the point that Paul is making about his relationship or his word to the Corinthians. And this is then where we pick up in verses 18, or 19 rather, through 22, God's word to us. And as we understand Paul's word to the Corinthians, now we make sense of why Paul has introduced God's word to us right in the middle of his defense. So now we turn our attention to verses 19 through 22 to look at God's word to us. As Pastor Joel mentioned a number of weeks ago when he was preaching through this, it's not obvious the connection between verse 18 and verse 19. Why didn't I come visit you? Because God's word to us is always yes. Like that's, it's like, what? How did that, how do those go together? But now that we understand Paul's logic, we can better make sense of why he's brought God into the mix and God's word to his people. In the same way that Paul's word to the Corinthians is always yes, even when he has to say no, so too God's word to us is always yes, even when he has to say no sometimes. No matter how the experience of our lives unfold, no matter how many times it seems that God lets us down and doesn't come through and visit us, as he said he would, he's always saying a deeper yes to us in Jesus. He always, always has our best interest in mind. Now, parents don't always, if we're going to be honest. We're not as perfect as God. Sometimes parents are just tired or cranky, or they're having a bad day. And all the kids are like, amen, that is true. <laughs> but God always has our best interest in mind. He doesn't get overwhelmed with all the requests. He doesn't have to self-protectively, reflexively just say no so he can get some distance and go back and sort it out and think about it. His eternal power and his eternal love allows him to always say yes to us in Jesus, to always do what is in our best interest. And what's more, God knows not only what is best for us, he also knows what we most truly and deeply want. What did the Corinthians most truly and deeply want from Paul? Not just for him to come visit them, at the heart, underneath all of that, they wanted to know that he loved them and cared for them. And if he had given them what they were asking for, another visit, it would have led to just another painful rebuke. And that wouldn't actually been what they were wanting. They wouldn't have got what they wanted most. And it's the same with God. We ask God for all sorts of things. 
And we expect all sorts of things, good things, things that he's told us to ask for and expect from him. And even more deeply, but, some, but sometimes he doesn't give us the things that we're asking for precisely because he loves us so much and he knows what's best for us. And even more deeply, he knows better than we do what we are really wanting. And he knows that if he gives us the things that we are asking for, those things will only get in the way of the thing that we most truly and deeply want. So think about that for a moment. Often we'll say things like, God doesn't give us what we want, he gives us what we need. And that's true at a surface level. But God not only gives us what we most truly and deeply need, he also gives us what we most truly and deeply want. He knows what we want better than we know what we want. And we ask for this thing, thinking it's going to be what we want, but God's like, that actually isn't going to be what you want. What you really want is this thing. And so he says no to us so he can really more fundamentally say yes to us by giving us the thing that we most really want. The dissonance comes not because he refuses to give us what we want, but because we don't even really know what we want. Pastor Manfred and I, uh, last week, we met over uh, at Christ Tabernacle in the Austin community with Pastor Michael and uh, Pastor Michael, Christ Tabernacle, and Church of the Res out in Wheaton. And then now Calvary has been invited into a partnership along with the Caring Network, Network, which is in DuPage, to start a women's center in the Austin community. And so Pastor Manfred and I were meeting uh, with the leaders of this new startup ministry and getting a chance to know each other and get a vision for what we were going to do. And I'm super excited about this uh, women's clinic in Austin. And it's going to be designed specifically for uh, women that are pregnant but under-resourced or who have already given birth to children, uh, but they're under-resourced and how they are going to care for their children. And so the clinic will come alongside of them in providing material needs and some, some minor medical uh, help. It'll be staffed with nurses, but then also some uh, therapy and uh, uh, clinical therapy help. And so there'll be a lot of ways for us to be involved in caring for women who are in desperate situations in Austin. I'm super excited about that, and I'll be telling you more about that uh, in, the, in the weeks and months to come as it unfolds. But, uh, but at the meeting, uh, Pastor Michael from Christ Tabernacle, he introduced to the group Jatan, who is a uh, local resident of the Austin community. And he said, uh, Jatan, her stories, uh, she's been the driver in bringing this vision uh, to fruition. He said, I want you to hear her testimony because it's such a, a beautiful, precious testimony. And it was. I, I cried through the whole thing. It was, uh, it was beautiful. But I want to share it with you uh, this morning to keep uh, making the point that we're making here. Jatan uh, grew up in Austin. She said her father died when she was one years old. And she ended up in the foster uh, system in Austin, bounced around from home to home. It was very uh, destabilizing. As she uh, became an adult, she ended up a single mom with two kids, uh, not working a great job, always feeling underwater financially and behind. Uh, she got pregnant after the two kids a number of times. It just could not see a way forward uh, for providing uh, for these children and had two abortions. And then she said that only complicated her life because she had such despair in her life, both her circumstances and the guilt from the abortions. And, and she said she got to the place where she was suicidal. 
And she said, I would have taken my life, but I had these two kids I had to care for, and they would have ended up in the, in the foster system, and I just, I couldn't do it. But she was so despairing. And she wanted a new job that would make more money. She said she wanted a husband that would help uh, carry the load and, and care for her. And all of that makes sense, because those are all the things that we would want if we were in her spot. But God hadn't given her any of those things. And she said she was sitting in, the room, in her bedroom alone at the very bottom of her despair. And she was bitterly lamenting her life to God. And she didn't grow up going to church. She didn't have any real deep, profound knowledge of God. But, but she was bitter, bitterly lamenting her life to God about how she had nothing and she had no one to care for her. And then suddenly she felt God's presence and his love rush into the room in an overwhelming way, almost like a physical force, she said. It's so beautiful to hear her tell that part of her story. And she said she heard God say to her, she heard this voice say to her, I have been taking care of you your whole life. And then she began to remember all those little moments throughout her life that came flooding back to her, she said, when things could have gone really, really wrong, could have gone really bad, but for whatever reason, circumstances, they hadn't. And then she heard God say to her, and I am taking care of you now. And it's so delightful. She said, you speak? And she said, God said, I do. And she was filled with such joy, she said, in that moment to feel the presence of God come into her life. And you've got to hear her tell her own story. And I, I hope... I hope we're able to hear her tell it here at some point. She was so overwhelmed by God's love that she, she said she couldn't even breathe. It's like she couldn't catch her breath. And she said she felt her sorrow and despair fly away from her like demons fleeing the presence of Jesus. That's how she described it. And she said, I just started laughing with joy and I couldn't stop. And her life was radically transformed from that moment. And she said nothing changed in her circumstances. She had all the same problems that she had had before she had encountered God in Christ. But she started walking around smiling and singing and happy. And she said, all my friends were like, what's up with her? We don't get it. And Jatan went on to get a nursing degree. And she began praying that God would somehow make a way for her to be involved in a ministry there in the Austin neighborhood where she grew up that would come alongside and minister, minister to women trapped in despair, just like she had been. So now she's going to be one of the primary leaders in this new women's center. And I tell you that story to make the point that sometimes our whole lives can feel like just one big no from God. And I would wager a guess that probably very few of us, if anyone, have had an experience in life like Jatan's. Maybe some have. And it's just, that's been your story in, in your own version, in your own way. But it's just been hard from as long as you can remember. Most of us haven't lived in that space, but I think many of us, all of us, most of us, have had seasons of life where it just has seemed like it wasn't going the right way, where it just wasn't working. 
and we throw our prayers up to heaven and all we get is silence and what feels like a resounding no. And we can't make sense of God's presence and we can't make sense of our plight. But Jatan's story and Paul's word here this morning is a reminder that God loves us eternally in Jesus. And he's always saying yes to us, even if we can't see it and hear it. And Jatan thought, if I had these things over here, if I had a new job and more money and a husband, that would be how I would feel cared for. And those are all legitimate things. And God, he gives us those things in his kindness and his mercy and his grace. But in Jatan's story, it was like God was saying, if I give you these things, you'll not find this thing. And it's I'm the one that you need because I can give you joy in the midst of all of that. I can give you love and peace and happiness, even with all those things that are broken. And I can make myself known to you in a way that will satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. You think you want this, but what you really want is me. And so God said no to these things long enough so that he could say yes in a way that Jatan would hear it. And that's how I think it works with us, too. Sometimes we want things, and we ask for things, and we think that these are the things that we want. But God is saying no because he's really saying yes to the thing that we really want, which is his life for us in Christ. I know that life can be hard at times. It can be crushingly hard at times. And I know it very often doesn't make sense to us about why God doesn't let us play in the street or eat the whole bag of Halloween candy, why it seems like he's always saying no. But here's what I do know. Even when he's saying yes, his word to us is all, even when he's saying no, his word to us is always yes in Jesus Christ. Even when it sounds like a no, he's always saying yes. Because he loves us. He loves us and praise Jesus, our heavenly father loves us and he knows how to give us not only what we need, but what we really, truly, deeply want. So move to communion now this morning. Communion is the great reminder that God sees us, he hears us, he knows us, and he's always saying yes to us in Jesus. We see on the table here the great yes to us that God has said to us in Christ. Father, thank you that when we were lost in the darkness of one big no in this world, that you have come to us and you have said yes to us in Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the eyes to see um, how you do love us and care for us, that you would give us the capacity to discern the way in which your, uh, the seeming no's are truly yeses. Thank you, Lord, for this table. Thank you for the elements that are here, the great sacrifice and gift of your son, Lord. We thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause us in a fresh way this morning to always understand and believe, even if we have to take it on faith, the great yes that you have for us in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.